So I think the quality of life was a quality episode, a pretty good episode. It's certainly better than, you know, Adventures in the Old West or, you know, here's Q doing some bullshit. I mean, this has been a very uneven season so far. I, I think that's safe to say. And I think as we talked about in a previous episode, the, the show is sort of starting to yeah. show its age a bit. Uh, but I think that this episode, you know, I'm not sure that we really needed a revisit of The Measure of a Man. I think that... And this was directed by Jonathan Frakes as well. It was. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked it. I think I, that it's it's a decent take on that. It's a decent sort of, uh, 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 I guess, follow a, a, a follow-up in a way to it in some respects. But I'm not exactly sure how necessary any of it was. It's the kind of episode that... I mean, I liked it. I liked it in terms of the plot. I liked it in terms of, you know, what Data's going through in this episode. I liked it in those terms. I liked it in the fact that it is furthering that theme. It is furthering the concept of because Data had gone pretty far with his with his uh, exploration of humanity and wanting to be human. And we've done a lot as far as you know what or who Data is and all of that. Um, and I think this does show another side of himself again when he says like i needed to advocate for them because they didn't have that i mean that's a very strong statement of empathy on data's part and um you know again i've always said that you know data does have feelings and emotions and all of those things you know no matter how how much everybody says he does not i mean again this is him demonstrating empathy for someone who's like him and that's a very or unlike him in a way in a way like and unlike or like he was or akin to him well i think i think that's interesting because you know this episode i think goes a step further than data's questions about his own sort of humanity or his own sort of rights because you know and the episode even goes so far as to say this explicitly when when the scientist whose name i can't remember and it's probably not important you know, she she kind of says, well, you're you're anthropomorphizing them. And he says, well, you don't have a problem with me. And she says, yeah, well, yeah blah, 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 you know. And I think this is kind of taking that a step further and saying, OK, well, people can uh, accept Data's intelligence and Data's sort of sentience because he looks like a person. And he but, acts like a person and he, and acts, he compu- communicates like a person. In a, in a way, he kind of acts like a person. I so, mean, if, if Data has a thought, he can very easily say, well, I'm acting out of self-preservation. And in other words, he can more directly communicate. So it's easier to realize that. The exo, right. exo-drones, exo-bots. Exocomps. The exocomps. Which they never explain why they're called that, and I, I don't really get it. But anyway... I think that, you know, this is taking that a step further and it's kind of almost hearkening back to something like The Devil in the Dark from the original series, which is saying, okay, yeah, we've talked about life and we've talked about aliens and we've seen aliens that look like people and we understand that those are actual people. But, you know, what what, what happens when you encounter life that doesn't look like what we know yeah. it has? And, and frankly, you know, you're talking about emergent life here. You know, she is very resistant to it in a way which makes it uh, uh, almost sort of... I guess not – there needs to be some sort of conflict in the episode, but I kind of wish yeah. that she almost hadn't been so resistant or to it. Or they had made it a little clearer, I guess, because I could almost understand that on her – I mean, I think it's hilarious that she's concentrating on this drill when she has literally created a completely different life form, even though that wasn't her intention. By accident. Yeah, even though that wasn't what she set out to do. I mean, you know, science is littered with stories of, you know, inventions discovered by accident. She – just randomly figured out how to get how to grow an AI in a way that no one had thought of before. Right. And, um, 
I can see a little from her view as, you know, she doesn't think of that as something she does or she is capable of doing or like – in other words, she's – she may be doing – I feel like if they had made her doing that out of modesty, you know, I'm not God. I just made a robot, you know, and that's it, you know. I didn't create life. Like I think that would make a little more sense for it because it would make her less reticent or prejudiced against, you know, life as this definition and more – you know, kind of dealing with her own limitations. Well, I think that's a good way to put it, but I also think that, you know, it makes me think that her resistance to the exocomps being intelligent is interesting because it almost paints her as having less of an ego than a lot of other guest stars that we've seen. You know, because if you think about it in terms of someone who is brilliant, I mean, think back to to, um, Kaczynski, for example, from from Where No No One Has Gone Before, you know, very arrogant, very sure of himself and his own intelligence and his own brilliance. And and she isn't in a way which kind of makes that refreshing. We've now, seen scientists who have done crazy, horrible things to get their pet project to work. I mean, she is no less devoted to the machine than any scientist we've ever seen, you know, on the series. As she says, you know, it's the first thing I think of when I wake up. It's the first, last thing I think of when I'm going to bed. Right. You know, this is her life. This is her baby. This is her world right now and and the exo- yet she's not doing it in a way that's you know she's interested in just doing kind of the tech for i like that they show her as almost a tinkerer tinkerer i mean she just kind of her big discovery this emergent life is something she just kind of well i needed a tool to fix it better so i just decided this was the easiest way to do it i mean she almost seems kind of perplexed by it in a way yeah. because you know i'm thinking in the scene in the observation lounge where everyone is sitting around and going well they could be alive yeah okay let's go with this and, you know, she's kind of it, – it's not – you know, I don't want to characterize it as, as, as you know, a, a prejudice of hers. I think it's more of a sort yeah. of a bewilderment where she's like, I, I just created these as tools. These are yeah. tools. I, I don't – I mean, I made them. I don't know why you would think that I would be able to make something like this. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that that's something in the script necessarily because I think if you look at the words that she's saying, it comes across as more prejudicial than – yeah, how yeah, yeah. the how the actress actually plays it. I didn't really it. like her performance. That was a big, well, especially. I mean, there. This is a very. This was a very techno babbly episode. It certainly was. They're talking about these, you know, conduits, and you know, we're gonna, you know, and she's not, frankly, as good at reading the techno babble as you know, Levar Burton is right. at this point. Well, he's uh, had six years. I was going to say that's it. that's the thing. He knows exactly how to. It sounded – and like when she was talking to Data and asking about his positronic brain, it felt like she was reading terms out of the script rather than you know terms that she knew and had internalized right. and was speaking fluently. Um, but I mean that was just a general issue with the actress. Well, I think you know if you want to talk about problems that are cropping up, you uh-huh. know, because I do want to talk more about the scientists and the excoms and all this stuff, but – you know, if you if you step back for a second and you and you look at this as an episode of the of the next generation and say, okay, what what is this show doing now? What is it about? Yeah. And you know, I remember we talked it last week or the week before about how a lot of the character stories had been sort of resolved. You know, nobody really had much going on in the way of a of a character arc yeah, anymore. Yeah. You know, we we did a lot with Data. We did a lot with Worf and his family and Klingon honor. You know, we did a lot with Riker and his issues around command, which interestingly enough kind of come up in Chain of Command yeah. Part One. So in a way, you know, what we said the previous week or the week before is is true and not true because 
the show is kind of going back to that a little yeah. bit. And it's kind of saying, okay, maybe there's more here that we can say, you know, maybe more they here that revo- we can talk about. They resolved it for the moment, but now it's, you know, it's three, four years later than, you know, the Borg, right? right. So, I mean, for him to, you know, for Riker to say, well, we'll talk about this again next episode. Um, for Riker to say around the time of the Borg, I'm staying on the Enterprise. And then for even four years later to still be saying, those are two very different situations. You know, these are... These situations have been resolved for years, but they're still dealing with – they are still the same people. They will still have these as the major themes in their life. Right, and I think that that's all fine. But I guess my my, – if if I have a problem with the quality of life – and like I said, I think it's a pretty good episode. I don't think it's a classic – is that it all kind of feels very uh, rote at this point. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to come up with different spins on it, different takes on it. I think this one is, is pretty successful, but at the same time, if you look at an episode like measure of a man, which was very much about data and lots of talky scenes about his personhood and these kind of things. And then you get to something like this, which relies a lot more on, cool special effects which which relies more on technobabble which relies more on plotting frankly it 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 makes it clear that this is a very different show than it was a few seasons ago it's almost like this and is it's, yeah it's it's becoming kind of a, i don't want to say a problem or a lesser what? show but this is a show that is getting a bit tired well it's the thing it's like seasoned measure of a man was season 2 that's a scrappy show that's doing horribly that, you know, no one really kind of believes in or, you know, just saying, all right, we're going to do something really ambitious and really heavily thematic and very philosophical and very – and just, you know, going for broke and, you know, making a resounding success. This is – this episode, Quality of Life, is a fatter, richer, you know, show that's dressed better and, you know, is much better at this kind of thing and in a way – you could tell that this episode was not made with as much effort as Measure of a Man was. Which I think is a problem. Yeah, no, I it, think, it, think... it's it's really just, I mean, this is the difference between your your band's first album and, you know, five albums later, they're in the studio and they have a budget. You know, you know this is this is not an emblematic episode that, that I think I would hold up as say, this is what is wrong with the show at this point. But w- what I'm seeing is that the, the show is becoming much less uh, uh, sort of... Um, it's becoming a show that doesn't have very much in the way of restraint. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a problem. And I think that it's something that I don't know if it's going to crop up more, but I'm seeing it already. I mean, you're seeing times arrow. I think a fistful of data's was completely without restraint and they're doing it. Well, I don't want to say they're not doing it. Well, I think because at the end of the day, we do still have people who all the actors are enjoying themselves. Everybody who's, Making the show is still having a good time making the show, you know. It is still to a degree of quality, but yeah. But this is the question, I think, that a lot of shows come to when they come to this point in their runs. And sort of like the five, six-year mark, you know, why are we still making this show? Yeah. And and I don't know that the next generation has a good answer for that other than, well, it's still really successful. Yeah, they aren't really going into – again, this is a different wrinkle on that theme, but it's not – most of what I got from this episode it reminded me of an early episode that was much better. Right. If I hadn't seen Measure of a Man, I might have liked this episode more, which is not to say I didn't like the episode. I enjoyed watching it. The exocoms were adorable in an R2-D2 kind of sense. You know, I like 
Data's problem in this episode. I like it. You know, I I liked how the general plot worked, but yeah, it's not a classic. It's not a classic. There's nothing really new here, and I don't think that there has to be anything new. But you know, I think what you're seeing in this season, especially, is a show which is just kind of doing different takes on things that it's done before. And that's all fine. Yeah. I don't think that that's a problem necessarily. I think that that you know the, sh- the this season especially has had a lot of rough episodes. Yeah, I was happy to watch this episode because it was a good episode. Right. I mean, I think Times Arrow Part Two was was fairly terrible. Uh, True Q is not great. Man of the People is not great. You know, Relic certainly is good and, and stuff like that. But you know, on the whole, I think this uh-huh. season has not worked as well as others. But at the same time, I think that what you're seeing is a show that is very assured of itself, but at the same time has a, a lot less. Respect strain yeah and it's cocky (laughs) it's yeah it is a little cocky it's cocky and sloppy yeah it doesn't seem like they're they're really uh taking this with with as much care as they used to you know and and maybe it's just because they don't have anything to prove at this point you know the first couple years of the show maybe even the first three or four years of the show especially i think up until best of both worlds and after that were them saying okay well we have something to prove you know we are star trek they're hungry you know, yeah. they're hungry and now what you have is well it's 1992 or maybe 1993 at this point um there are no more original series movies they've been sent off a couple years ago the next generation is star trek at this point you know and yeah the show is going to be on a couple more years and we don't know what's going to happen with that are they going to make movies are they going to do an eighth year i mean this is all these are open questions at this point but deep space nine is just starting to launch at this point so so next generation is it right and and i think that that's what they're kind of feeling and i think that it's not a good look for them frankly I really liked Crusher in this episode of everything, though. Um, oh, she's great. In this that. was probably my. F- I mean, this is not a Crusher episode at all. But whoever, I would, I would agree, but, and I would disagree. With well, that like she's that. she's a, a very significant supporting character. Like this is it's a very much a Data episode. It's very much I would say a Jordy episode. But you know. Because Crusher doesn't – she's not actively involved in the plot, but she advises several aspects of the plot. Um, I really like the beard discussion at the beginning. Um, I love when she's, you know, that she has Batleth practice with Worf. I really love the discussion with, you know, between her and Data about the nature of life and all of that. This is an incarnate. this is my favorite incarnation of Crusher, I would say. It's um, one that – so the show has taken most of its uh, – anytime there's been a discussion of feminism, it's been largely through Crusher. I'm thinking about um, in Outcast um, when she's you know talking about you know well you know there used to be equality you know you know there used to be inequality but now men and women can do anything they can and then you know when she's saying later on like you know acknowledging you know among the senior staff that like yeah it's still not a hundred percent you know the right. show has mostly dealt with issues of feminism through her right and. In this episode, I see her very much – she very much the beginning discussion when she's talking about the role of the beard versus the role of makeup. Which she's right, of course. Yeah, exactly. That's her <laughs> saying like, you know, like, look, whatever, like, you know, men and women are going to, you know, show, you know, do – have vanity things in different ways, certainly, but – I mean, beards, in effect, are yeah. a man's version of wearing makeup. Exactly. It's, a, mean, ha- it's, a, it's, a, it's a hairstyle. Men- and, and we speak as men who – we both have beards, mm-hmm. so we know this. Yeah. Um. You know, the fact that she – and then for the rest of the episode, again, she's doing training with Worf and then she's 
having a very high level scientific and philosophical uh, conversation. Again, this is a an incarnation of Dr. Crusher that I really like and the closest to who I think she really is. Yeah, and I think that she's comfortable on the ship, I think, maybe finally. Yeah. You know, I don't really get the sense that she she's always struck me as kind of a peripheral character, you know, because yeah. she's not she's not on the bridge normally and she doesn't go on away missions very often. She's sort of stuck down in in the medical bay. Yeah. And you know, it's, but she is the person that literally everybody on the ship does know and right. she, you know, with the exception of Dr. Crusher with uh, of Cancer Troy, she probably has the most direct contact with the majority of the ship because at some yeah. point at some point everyone you know makes their way into med bay so she meets everybody well i think you know it, it, i want to talk about well let's talk about the scene where, where data goes to talk to beverly about what life is yeah. right that's an interesting scene for a few reasons number one it's interesting because data doesn't need to ask her that no yeah you well, know when like, i first saw that i'm like he can you know get the same but but what what that is, I mean, you could say that's a sloppy way that the episode is trying well, to get some exposition across, and I don't think you're wrong. That's a that would be a fine criticism of it. But I think that it's important for a character reason because yeah. Data knows what the definition of life is, but he wants to talk to someone about it because he's unsure of himself. Well, in a way, he's kind of getting because he he has definitely looked up the same and probably ten times more definitions of life than she has just at her recall. He's looked at all of the things that he said, you know, and said, okay, well, it doesn't fit all this criteria. You know, if I don't fit all the, you know, I'm life, but I don't fit all the criteria of life. You know, this does, you know, things that he knows all of this and he's not been able to get an answer. And, you know, he, when he's having the discussion with her, the fact that he's asking, you know, where to live life, I think he's just kind of establishing first principles of the discussion in a way. Like, No, he is. Yeah, absolutely. you know, what's, what's the groundwork? What's our working definition of life so that we can have a discussion? And, I, th- you know, but he needs her for the parts that can't be answered and more importantly to explain why and what the value of what can't be answered is. Well, because I think that, you know, yeah. it's I think it's a really good scene for all those reasons, but I think it's also a good scene because, number one, it indicates that Data does really respect yeah. Dr. Crusher, right? I don't think that he would go to someone who he didn't respect. But I also think that it's important because, you know, Crusher has an opinion that is, that is valued. Yeah. Uh, and also, frankly, I think it indicates that, you know, on the side of Data, you know, Data is a little unsure of, of what he's doing, a little unsure yeah. of what he's thinking. And and he wants some validation. He yeah. wants someone to say, "Okay, this makes sense." And I you know th- he can he can go into his head and he can look at all the def- definitions of life that he knows, as you've said. But at the end of the day, he he may not have that that sort of um, you know. Data doesn't strike me as someone who is. He's very he's very. Uh, He's very assured and he's very competent, but he's not very confident. And I think that when it's time for Data to express an opinion, I don't know that he's really comfortable doing it. He does still have, I think, a bit of – again, it was a while before he asked for command of his own ship. It's been a while – it was – so it's really only been in the past couple of years that he's been – acknowledged as a person exactly so, right you know i think that lack of confidence while still having a understanding of his own abilities and he knows that everybody does trust him and believes in his um i think he's still st- stuck in certain patterns of thinking which kind of make him need to over justify his opinion in a couple ways 
Yeah, yeah. I think that he thinks he still has something yeah. to prove. And I right? think it's also very interesting that it is Crusher who he talks to. Be- I've been thinking a lot about Crusher and the fact that she, you know, this dancing doctor thing, the fact that she's always putting on plays. And I don't know. I I always get the sense that there was a point, you know, when she was a teenager when she had to make that decision between, you know, do I go to Juilliard or med school? And, right. you know, she decided to go to med school, but – um. In a way, she kind of represents a blending of both humanities and science. I think she's the perfect one to ask about whether something is life because, like, Jordy is going to know – Jordy will know probably more about the technical side of what's going on than Dr. Crusher would. Uh, Counselor Troy would probably know more about the, the you know, philosophical and spiritual sides than Crusher might. But I think Crusher has a foot in both camps and so – I don't know. Out of everybody on the ship, you know, even though there are other people that Data's closer to, I think she really I, – I like that she's the one who has this discussion with him because she really is in the most unique position to give a certain insight. Well, I think that's a good point and I, and I think it kind of uh, leads into the final point I wanted to make about that scene, which is that, um, of course, Crusher was not on the Enterprise during The Measure of a Man. And oh, yeah. so, you know, it, it's a nice way – to allow her to weigh in on that question in a strange way. But it's also nice because I think, you know, she wasn't there for that. She wasn't there to see that happen, to see Data get his rights as a person, to sort of um, have this question definitively answered. She knows for sure what's happened. She's heard the story a dozen times from everybody. But But she wasn't the one there to be directly convinced of Data's personhood. And so for her to say, well, okay, this is what I think life is, is interesting because she's kind of uncolored by those events in a way. So it makes her... I, I guess it makes her support of Data's position in this episode all the more sort of profound. And I think actually the scientist's attitude towards Data is very interesting because the scientist in Measure of the Man needed to be convinced and he definitely didn't believe that Data was life. And while she doesn't have the – while she's – it takes her a while to come around to the exocom, she immediately, you know, treats Data like he's a person. She's frankly – I, you know, I, I think Jordy's a little jealous at the beginning because she's paying more attention to Data, you know, and she yeah. finds – she seems to think, well, Data's more competent, you know, and I'm really interested – and she's certainly very aware and very fascinated by, you know, the circuitry in there. But she does have the show's attitude that, you know, it really doesn't matter whether it's, you know, blood vessels right. and flesh or, you know, circuits and chips, you know, alive is alive. Well, this that that's interesting to me because you know I hadn't seen this episode in a long time, and I, I may have not even. I mean, I may have only seen it once or twice. It's one of those episodes yeah. that I kind of oh, okay. Uh, but at the very beginning of the episode, I, I didn't really remember what it was about, and I sort of was getting a, a vibe that this was going to be like a Geordie romance episode. So did and I, so, yeah. And so, like, you know, you kind of have those scenes in the beginning where Geordie seems kind of into her, and, and, and she's very much into Data instead. I'm glad it didn't. It wasn't that episode. Yeah. But in, in a way, it's it's sort of a professional interest, but it's also sort of a, 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 a she's being, she's drawn towards Data in some way. Yeah. So it's not surprising, I guess, that she would accidentally create yeah. life in a way, right? <laughs> no, she's very much, again, like I said, she's a tinkerer. I think she's just fascinated by things. She invents, again, she invents life kind of as a way she needed a new screwdriver, so she invented a life form. Right. Like that, that's the, uh, I, I, I think that's almost hilarious, and yet the thing that, she, thing that she's actually working on is completely fucked up, you know? 
I mean, I do, I, you know, and, and the thing is, though, too, that, that the exocomps themselves are, are a, a little bit of a weak part of the episode because we don't really get a sense of, of, of no. what they're really like. You know, certainly, I think, again, if you go back to something like The Devil in the Dark, I think you got a pretty good um, explanation or, or a sense of what the Horda is like. But you didn't really get a good sense of the exocomps. You didn't really get a good yeah. sense of what they believed or what they liked. They or, have a sense of self-preservation, but you can't tell whether that's like... You and I have a sense of self-preservation because we have a fear of death, for example. Right. Are they just thinking, you know, are they making the calculation and saying, well, it's easier to save myself and fix it later than it would be to build a new, like. And I think that the, I think the end of the episode tries to answer that question in some way because, yeah. of course, you know, Data's whole point, And I, I think that, you know, my other problem with the episode is that Riker comes across as a bit of a hard-nosed yeah. person in this episode, which I, I don't necessarily buy that he would put the exocomps in danger that way. Uh, it seemed like an artificial construct to to put the exocomps in direct con- to put data in direct conflict with with Riker. Yeah. Uh, whatever. That's. I mean, these things have to happen sometimes. But yeah. it's a bit of a weak part of the episode. But I think that when you look at the very end and they kind of try and make the point and say, okay, well, if the exocomps put themselves, if they agree to go, then we know that they're going to give themselves up in yeah. some way. And then the end of the episode, of course, only two of them make it back. And so the implication is that they yeah. kind of understand death or they understand what was happening. Yeah. Or is it okay. just, you know, they rolled the dice and, you know, one of them, you know, got the short story and doesn't really care because, it's, you know, again, they leave it ambiguous. And I think she is... I mean, they have the scientists basically saying, I don't know what they are, but I'm going to have to, you know, spend some more time with them and figure out that out. She's at least – I think the series – the show leaves with we don't quite know whether or not the exocoms are life at this point. And yet that's I think what's important is that we're open to the possibility. See, that's interesting to me because I don't think that the episode has any question about that. Mm. I think the episode very explicitly says that they're life. Mm. But I guess that's, you know, interpretations. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, I have a question. Okay. Um, They have replicators, right? The exocomps do. The world has replicators. Yeah. Why do they need a mining thing? Can't they just replicate ore? I thought that was a thing. Uh, Well, maybe, I mean, the energy needs to come from somewhere. So maybe what they're mining is the energy needed to make replicators. That's that's the answer. Very weak, but just okay. don't worry about it. Yeah, okay. Sometimes you'll get things like that. Okay. Um, I will give this episode six Seven? exocomps. Six and exocomps. I would really like to see an exocomp crew member. Aww, adorable. <laughs> would you could right. put like a little face on it, and like it could be like angry. Well, that's just offensive. A small face on it. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to talk about Chain of Command Part 1. Okay, so I have another question about technology. Sure. Why do they wrap... So they're rappelling down the wall, right? Uh-huh. Why do they do that when the boots from Star Trek V exist? That is a good question. Okay. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like the series doesn't remember its technology. I think that that probably had more to do with budget huh? than anything else. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they could have done it off screen. Like, hey, we've got those boots from, you know... It's after I mind melded with Spock, he gave me these boots, and then, you know, they cut to them down. Could, wow, that was great. It could be a lot of factors. It could be uh, uh, cost in the episode. It could be the fact that they didn't want to make the noise. It could be that you can't use those boots in enclosed spaces because they let off lethal gases. I don't know. I mean, huh. who knows, you know? Well, maybe, maybe it was a dead-end technology, and that was 100 years ago, and they don't work anymore. I understand. You know? Um, 
Yeah, I I don't uh, really like this episode. Okay, I liked it. I think it's fine. It was, but my my problems with the episode are that um, there's really, I mean, I don't know. There's not much here. It's, it's set just, up. For it's all set something up. to happen. Right now. Okay, so what's going on as far as DS Nine goes when this episode is being aired? Uh, well, this was aired, I believe, in December of ninety two. Okay. So you're looking at DS9 launching in January of 1993. Okay. So it was filmed, it was done. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Just, they knew know, that they know that both were happening, they but were it doing wasn't the post, like they were doing the post production on it. They weren't being point. aired. Okay, cuz I know from what I know is that the Cardassians are more of a thing in DS9, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um very much so. This is so this is basically the introduction to the Cardassians essentially. I mean a little We've bit. We've seen mean, them before, yes, but there haven't really this is the most that we've seen of them. This is when we see them working on a very deliberate scheme. This is when we... this this is the version of the Cardassians, yeah. pretty much that is in Deep Space Nine. Okay. So, so I whether, guess one wh- of my questions is how do I feel about the Cardassians? Because yeah, well that, that I think if they're going to be the new enemy, you know. I think that's a good way to get into talking about this episode. I think that, you know, what what do you think about the Cardassians at this point, frankly? I mean, they're competent Romulans. That's really the only... We haven't really yeah. seen... There, I can't really tell much of the difference between the two other than the fact that... I mean, they have this very Byzantine plan that requires the Federation making some very particular decisions. Right. Um, that, you know, oh, we... You know, they... they their plan basically revolves around number one, the Federation finding about about these signals. Number two, the Federation clicking that this is this kind of macro uh, macro toxic, whatever. The, yeah, uh, metagenic weapon. metagenic weapons. Right. Um, that gotcha. Out of everybody in the Federation, Picard is the best to do this. Yep. That uh, you know, like th- th- there's these very specific steps that it requires and. The fact that it does work makes me think like, okay, they're Romulans, but their plans work. Yeah. Now, obviously, in the next part, their plans are going to be foiled. I, I know that. But I, I think that what you expect the next episode to be is probably not what you think it's going to be. I'll see, that's interesting. That. Just like... Uh, it's a very famous episode. Really? Yeah. And it's uh, it's not pleasant to watch. Um, huh. Yeah, and I'm not going to say anything else about it because I I don't want to like you know build it up in your head or anything. But it's uh, I don't know. It, it's funny because of course Chain of Command uh, was supposed to be a, it wasn't supposed to be a two parter. Like they were just supposed to have this happen, and it was going to be this, and Picard was going to be rescued at the end. Yeah. Uh, Again, what I what I'm imagining is that the next episode is they need some kind of information from Picard, and you know. They're going to be trying to get it and all this and everyone will go back forth and you'll find out why the the captain was really put on the ship and he'll be saved at the last minute. Right. I, well, yeah, because there's no way that Jellicoe is going to be no. uh, the captain for the rest of the of the of the series. Number one. And I think that. OK, so so a little bit of backstory for Chain of Command is that it was supposed to be just a just a regular episode and they made it a two parter for budgetary reasons because they were way over budget apparently yeah. and they they wanted to stretch it out. So, OK, that's all fine. You know, and so 
what you get in this episode again like i said i I like your conception of the cardassians as competent romulans i don't think you're incorrect i think that that the cardassians don't get a lot of build-up or a lot of uh color in the next generation just because they are not uh the part of the next generation like they are deep space nine i mean deep space nine really makes them yeah who they are but i think but you get the sense that the few times we've seen the Cardassians was kind of a trial run. And this is this feels in a way maybe the dress rehearsal for their plots in DS9. Like I think that if this, you say this is the this is the conception of the the Cardassians they go with, like, okay, we're gonna put them on in an episode, see if they actually do work as villains. Cause in a way Well, I think at yeah. this I think at this point, um, you know, that's that's not correct because of course this would this would have been I don't I mean, they would have been making D Space Nine concurrently with this. So they knew what they were doing. I think they, they it wasn't like let's see if oh, they yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, I, I think know. at this point it was they, they knew what they were doing. Uh just because of the time frame and how things were working. But fair. You know, this I think this was more of a let's reintroduce the Cardassians to the to the viewers, yeah. to the audience. So they they know who they are for D Space Nine, number one. Um but I also think that they work they work well enough because I think that that they they set up uh, Jellico and the Cardassian guy, the Gull, whatever his name is, as as sort of two sides of the same coin in a way, hmm. and I like that. You know, I think that that you know, I don't know how much there is to say about the Cardassians in this episode, just because they are sort of ciphers. Yeah, we don't really. But I think that what you see is what you get, and if you like them, you'll like Deep Space Nine. What I'm interested in really is is sort of you know, Jellico and how that's all set he's up. He's a really interesting character. Well, I yeah. don't think I like him, but he's a really interesting character. I'm glad you say that. Uh, why do you say he's interesting? Well, because he's part of it is he's, I mean, I think the show makes it very clear. He is the worst fit for the enterprise. Like the enterprise is a very touchy feely. Everybody, you know, you know, people are allowed to bring up questions to Picard, you know, you know, Troy can be in her casual wear on the bridge and, you know, tell the captain, look, you know, you need to not do this and he'll not do that or whatever. And the Troy thing was kind of controversial. Actually. I can see that. Yeah. Um, it was something that Marina Sirtis wanted to do for a long time, but nobody wanted to let her do it. I think it's a very interesting moment yeah well i will say that that uh she pretty much doesn't wear the the other get-ups the rest of the series like from from this point on she's normally in a uniform okay um which i think is a good change for the character frankly and i think that it's something that the show should have done a long time ago and i think that it you know if you if you subscribe to the viewpoint that the way people dress uh makes you respect or disrespect them i think that you know if the character of troy had been on the bridge in a uniform for the last five and a half seasons she might have gotten better plot lines i don't know hmm. um because there is sort of a subconscious thing going on there where you've got somebody wearing a cat suit with their boobs hanging out you're gonna write certain yeah. things for them as opposed to a person who's in a uniform yeah, 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 i'm yeah. just saying uh, but I think that, that this was something that Ronald, Ronald D. Moore wrote this episode, so that was something he yeah. wanted to do, and Marina Sirtis was all for it. So this was kind of their opportunity to get that done. Yeah, so you get the sense that almost she had... Uh, but I mean, I, I guess what I want to say is that he's not a good fit for the Enterprise, but he's also... I think he's a sincere character. I think he definitely is a good character, and he's... So the thing is, 
what's what they think this is they they there is a very real possibility of the fact that this episode will lead to war with the Cardassians. Right. That's that's on everybody's mind right now. Right. And everything that uh Jellico is doing is preparing the ship for war. And frankly, I would say I, I mean you know, Picard's a peacetime consigliere. You know, Jel- Jelinek is a wartime consigliere, and they're right. about to go to wartime. He's battening down the ship as he says, you know, we need to be loaded for bear. We need to be ready. And frankly, the the crew of the Enterprise is not that kind of crew. And you can no. see a lot of them are – they're basically every single character in this episode is not ready for this episode. Even Picard is winded from his training you know they have dr crusher going on training as you mentioned you know earlier and dr crusher doesn't really go on away missions sure she can you know if 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 this meta whatever is a real thing she'll be able to i mean certainly she's in shape and certainly yeah she's athletic but she's also dancing not and she's you know doing battle with training with war yeah 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 you know that kind of stuff i mean maybe that was threaded into last episode to kind of make it a little more believable that she'd be going yeah, yeah, on this yeah, kind of fair but she's all you know they, what they point out things like you know she didn't put set the equipment quite right you right. know she was dealing with a bunch of distractions that, you know a bunch of issues at once when maybe she's you know just used to or there's somebody protecting her from the and frankly i think that you know if if, if you had uh, you know if she was replaced by by another security officer i don't think picard would have been captured you know there's that as well yeah you know so the whole thing is kind of a clusterfuck yeah you know then you have Riker and jordy uh, you know and troy basically saying like oh we need more time you know oh i think you should get to know the you know the crew better before you make big changes oh if we change the roster this way and you know delico's basically saying look at any point, the the Cardassians are going to start shooting at us, and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to want to talk. They're not going to give us an extra five minutes, so you don't have that extra day, you know. In a way, he's being a hard ass, but I think the well, circumstances merit it in a way. Yeah, I think so. And I, what I like about the episode is that Jellico is is definitely, you know, they do everything they can do to make him very different from Picard. Yeah. But he's still an effective captain. Yeah, I don't think he would be. He's good for if they, you know when they're just poking around and doing research and diplomatic or at missions. You know, the general he would not be a good general captain for the flagship of at least that we've seen. Right. He's definitely more of a by the book guy. He's yeah. very very abrupt. He wants things done the way he wants them when they, he wants them done. Uh, he is a captain who who doesn't want to be questioned. Well, we've and, also yeah. And I think that that makes him, uh, like you said, probably not a good fit for the Enterprise crew and not a good fit for the show. But he's a good – he's still a good captain. Yeah, we've had plenty he's of – He's just different. We've talked about you know how much is the Federation a military organization. And I think our conception of it is that while it's not completely – it does have a significant military element to it. You know, again, everybody on the ship knows basic self-defense. They can handle a phaser. They can, you know. And so you, so I get the sense that Picard, again, was more towards the research diplomacy. Right. That's where his skills and interests lay, and that's the kind of missions he gets. But Jellicoe probably was in the military arm from the second he joined the academy. And, he, you know, that's probably where he excelled, and that's how he earned his business. And he's probably doing... Missions that are more ultimately dangerous from the beginning. You know, again, he's dealt with Cardassian stuff for years. Yeah. And so 
again, you know. Well, I mean, I don't think. I mean, you know, even to the yeah. point where you know the ship that he comes over from is is an Excelsior class, and you know that certainly uh, uh, is is because they have those lying around and they can use the model. But it's also kind of the workhorse of the Federation. Yeah, still. And they so know. He's not. They're not going to give him like the fancy new ship, but they will give him a ship that works, and he knows the case, yeah, and he knows the, how to deal deal with it. The fancy new ship, you know, has more luxury. Maybe it's not as tactically good as the other. You know, right? Um, well, even to the point where Jellico is making changes to the to the crew or the, yeah. the the bridge consoles. You know, saying this needs to be damage control. This needs to be weapons control. Yeah. Like, you know, so so he's definitely taking a lot of the exploration, a lot of the science off the bridge. Yeah, he tells them he's to turn a, off these labs offline, and you right. Know, Right. When somebody, pro, you know, one of them protests and he's saying, you know, we don't need the research lab right now. You know, we if we need power to the weapons and the shields, you know, the geology department can be shut down, you know. You know, and frankly, I think that, you know, little things like him changing from three duty rosters to four. I mean, I don't know anything about scheduling or military tactics or yeah anything like that. Uh, but it does seem, you know, it, it seems kind of sensical i guess that if you're going to be uh on some sort of you know battle ready schedule you would want people to be on schedule for for a shorter amount yeah, of time be fresher, rather yeah. than longer so that makes sense to me and i think it's all done very economically it's all done very well yeah. you know the actor who plays jellico is certainly good at playing that sort of hard ass and yet i will say but then there's also moments where again the whole thing with his son's drawings i mean they they Yes, using, you know, he has a kid and he loves his kid is an easy shorthand, but at the same time, it's not ineffective. You know, he is, he's well, vi- he's very human. He loves his family. You know, he's not just an asshole for the sake of it. When he's ta- when Picard's talking to him, he says, you know, what can I do to help? You know, let's right. launch a pro, you know, he is very concerned for Picard's safety and the safety of the mission and the safety of his crew. Well, I think- especially at the at the, the last scene where he's talking to, to Admiral Nechev and, and they're basically both like, yeah, we want him to come yeah. back. Like, we don't want Picard to go missing. We both really like Picard and yeah. respect him and think that he's one of the more valuable members of Starfleet is kind of the implication of that. Scene. Oh yeah, I mean you can you can see versions of this episode where he was just evil and mean, you know, and stuff like that. But it wouldn't have worked. I, I think don't th- yeah, the he- show goes out of its way to say no. You know, he's not doing these out of any ulterior motives. He's not having really like it's not like he hates Troy when he's telling her you need to dress more appropriately. I like it more formal. Well, he's not wrong. No, he's not. I wrong. mean, you get the sense that she, you know, probably. Again, the first season she's wearing a uniform, then she's not, you know. I get the sense she basically just kind of soft-talked Picard into, you know, let me just wear my own clothes, you right. know, whatever. You right. know, I'm the counselor. I don't need, you know. And he's saying, well, no, you're still on the bridge, you know. This is a – but I don't think he doesn't – I don't think he disrespects her opinion, you know. He definitely lets her in and he's talking to her about these things. And while he basically says not now, I don't think he completely dismisses it. No, I don't think so. And I think that, you know, to your point about his children as well, I think that that's more about making him different from Picard. You know, because I don't know that they... Yeah, he gets rid of the fish and puts kids' drawings up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he he makes explicit changes to the way things are done. I mean, he's putting things in quarters and he's, you know, uh, uh, one of the little touches about the episode that I always love is is the fact that, that, you know, whenever Jellicoe enters the bridge, Data has to go captain on the bridge. You know, like that, that just makes it a much more formal sort of atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think it's interesting that, that he doesn't apparently really respect Riker. Yeah, well, because... I, think, I don't think that Riker's a good first officer for him. You know, that, he, that's it. He, he, basically, he wants 
he wants certain of his needs anticipated. And Riker is really good at anticipating all of those needs of Picard's. Right. Largely because they've worked together for so many years, but also because I think they kind of, while they're different people, they have so much in common that so many of their decisions would be the same, you know? In other words, I think Picard can trust to de- can delegate a lot more to Riker because he knows it'll get done in a way that is acceptable to Picard. Yeah. Um, Riker is still doing things the Picard way in this episode, and that's not the Jellicoe way. Right. You know, and I think, yeah, and I think that, you know, to, to your point there, I mean, even, even little things like this episode reveals what year Riker graduated from the Academy, which was 2357. And so this episode is only taking place about 10 years after that. So you're, what you're seeing is you're seeing an officer who has spent uh, uh, half or over half of his, of his yeah. career uh, with, uh, you know, one captain. And, and so he's obviously going to be spent the formative years of his career uh, with a very different captain than Jellicoe. And he just might not be able to be the first officer that Jellicoe wants or needs. Yeah. And it doesn't have anything to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with, that's what I like about the episode. And that's what I kind of like about the script is that it doesn't make any of this personal. No. Jellicoe, Jellicoe is not, uh, uh, is not criticizing Riker. Um, He's not making some sort of like statement about his person. He doesn't say, I don't like him. It's just, they have professional disagreements, you know, and they might be able to sit down and, and, and go to 10 forward and have a chocolate Sunday together, yeah. but you know, they're not going to work well together. And so he's not going to be the first officer that Jellicoe needs. Yeah. 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 But again, Riker's not a good wartime, you know, first officer. He's good when there's a mission, he's good to, but he's not really the one who's going to, again, the crew almost comes off a little soft in this for what they're about to come against, which I don't think contradicts any of their capabilities that we've seen. Right. They're certainly able to get out of, you know, any situation they get themselves into. But normally their goal is to deal with, you know, finding new stuff and, you know, talking to new life forms and all of that stuff. And so, yeah, you know, Riker is going to protest turning the science stations down because that's the usually the first priority of the, in, you know, the Enterprise. And it for him, that's as essential a system as the engines or life support right uh for he he hasn't shifted over into thinking well we need to prioritize weapons and then if we have you know power left over yeah i think that's true and i think that you know what what the what sort of the unanswered question of this and what will what will be answered in the in the second part is you know what's going to happen to the enterprise you know what 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 is the enterprise going to look like next episode i don't know Mm. you know these people may not be exactly happy about any of this oh my god what if there's a mutiny and like the Cardassians take over. I don't think there'll be a mutiny. And then like it turns out everyone was turned into kids, so it's okay. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the 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 Picard and Crusher and Worf adventures, you know, and their sort of reconnaissance CIA I don't stuff. Know it's how, all fine. I don't I mean, know how don't... Crusher manages to get like a ton of rocks on her without like getting, you know, more than just like out of breath. She was very bruises, lucky. You know, like, I mean, I know the rocks were really made out of styrofoam, so maybe in universe they were too, but. Yeah, they could have been. It could have been on the styrofoam planet. Okay. Yeah, it's all fine. I mean, I don't yeah, think this is really. I mean, 
in a lot of ways, this was the big two-parter, you know? The, the Jellicoe stuff, I think, takes up a majority of the running time, and, and it really, you know, does, you know, work, because I don't think that the stuff that Picard and, and Crusher yeah. and Worf are doing are all that interesting. It's something to watch to break it up. It's something to watch to break it up, and it's it's basically all just set up to get them to the end of the episode, which yeah. is where they really need it to be. Yeah. Now, as a sort of rug pulling out from under the audience thing... I think it works pretty well. Yeah, it was effective in its way. Like, you knew that... Okay, I knew, especially knowing this is a two-parter, like, obviously something's going to go very wrong on the mission, and especially how they're saying, oh, you know, Picard might not come back. Like, yeah, so they're very specifically leading him to get... Yeah. Now, did I know specifically there would be no, you know, weapon and that they would capture Picard? Maybe not, but... You know, but it makes sense. Yeah, and, and it I worked, also, and it was dramatically sound. And it also makes it. I, I like it because you know, having the mission go wrong and having Picard yeah. get captured for for a reason that that would have absolutely nothing to do with the Cardassians necessarily would have been fine. But I think what what makes it. Uh, feel more cohesive and f- make it feel more like a well-constructed story is that, you know, the entire episode has really been about making the audience feel sort of off kilter. Yeah. You know, the, P- Picard is now having, you know, CIA adventures with Worf and, yeah, yeah. and, and Crusher. Jellico is now on the ship. You know, the Enterprise is very different. All the characters yeah. are sort of complaining and feeling off kilter and the audience is well, too. We, yeah. And, and at the end of the episode, it's revealed that all of this was done because the Cardassians have a plan. Yeah. And I like that because it makes it feel very, very discreet. Yeah. No, the, 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 they did. It's not like they just bumbled in and, and, and they were bad at their jobs and the Cardassians captured Picard. It's, it's that this was set up by the Cardassians way in advance. This was their plan. And the fact that they were able to pull it off is, is kind of scary. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it. Again, we, we don't, the Ferengi would never be able to do anything like this. The Romulans we couldn't take too seriously because, you know, everything would just blow up in their faces, right. you know, eventually. And after a while, we knew that. But the Cardassians, they are a very unknown thing. And frankly, every Cardassian episode we've had has ended very unresolved in a way. You, you know, that one, the first one where Picard basically says, like, look, you know, I'm on to your game. You know, I, I know what's happening, but there's nothing we can do. You know, they've never gotten any definite anything definitive everything's always ended in a stalemate and right. here's the first time it's not i mean as an effective cliff cliffhanger you know what do they want from picard and how's he getting gonna get out of this one is great you know I, I i'm invested in this you know i'm excited to watch the next episode and uh how's our boy gonna get out of this one you know well we'll find out next week but i want to find out now so tell me no Please. I will give this episode five metagenic weapons. I gave it seven. Okay. Uh, well, before we reveal what episodes we'll be talking about next week, uh, as always, I just want to say that uh, if you agree or disagree with us, you can share those thoughts on the post for this episode at trekaboutshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And leave us an iTunes review. That is the best way to... Get new fans to the show. Which we want. Which we want. And Very want badly. To. The more fans you get us, the more prizes you could win. That is probably not true. Well, I said could. I didn't say will or shall or anything. I said, you know, could. We could all find ice cream Sundays later. You know, we could all win the $10 million, you know, but who knows? 
we could we could talk about Chain of Command Part Two. Oh, and ship in a bottle next week. Okay, but that's not true <gasps> because we will talk about them. 